Welcome to the Health Professions Podcast. This is Heather Banks, along with my co-host, Heidi Selsler-Barr. Today is our 12th podcast, and we featured a panel from Optometry, Medicine, and Pharmacy. They had so much great information to share about the application process, advice for students, and how they would define success. We went in the order of Jordan, who is optometry, Michael, who is medicine, and Catherine, who is pharmacy, as we went through some questions and conversations. We know you will enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Gustavus Health Professions Podcast. Today we have a really special episode. We have a panel of students representing optometry, medicine, and pharmacy. All three of these students were in this current application cycle. So they're gonna have a lot to share about the application cycle, their story, and tips and advice for you that'll be applying in the future. So welcome. So our guests, can you please introduce yourselves? And Jordan, we'll start with you. Definitely. Um, my name is Jordan. I was a biology major and I graduated in December of 2020. So just like a couple months ago. Um, and I will be attending Pacific University College of Optometry in Oregon. My name is Michael Gutman and I graduated in May of 2020. So this past spring, my major was in biochemistry and molecular biology and I minored in Spanish. And I'll be attending the University of Minnesota at Duluth this coming fall. And my name is Katherine Lim. I am a biology and history double major, and I am actually graduating this May, so 2021. Um, and I am a like pre-pharmacist area, and I will be attending the University of Minnesota Twin Cities School of Pharmacy. Wonderful. Thank you all for sharing. Um, our next question here, we would like to know uh, just your favorite Gustavus memory up to this point, what has been the most um, memorable thing for you being a Gusty? You make that sound like it's an easy question. Um, <laughs> definitely not. Um, I would say my academic wise, my favorite memory was probably uh, the duck imprinting lab in, in my biology class. That was always exciting. Um, and then an off-campus memory that I, I will always remember was uh, traveling to Cusco, Peru last January. So Jordan, what were you doing in Peru? Yes, I did a January program um, studying climate change, but a lot of it was just exploring, exploring the country, which is very fun. Awesome, thanks for sharing. I also have probably, you know, an academic and then non-academic. I think it's good to have both, you know, in there to share. So I'll say the, you know, the non-academic one first, we went to Colorado with my symphony orchestra uh, and did a national tour on there. I was doing my junior year and I was actually really looking forward to the senior year tour, uh, international tour, but fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to think about it, a different opportunity presented itself for that J term. And I was a member of the Mayor Innovation Scholars Program representing Gustavus as one of the private colleges in the state of Minnesota. And unfortunately I can't disclose the topic of research that we did uh, due to confidentiality reasons, but basically uh, it was a team of four of us, business and science majors working together. And we had a project that was assigned to us by the Mayo Clinic team of researchers. And in October we got our topic and then throughout the fall semester, 
And Jay told me at the beginning of the spring semester, we made a presentation, did a report uh, about the marketability of the innovation that we presented. So that was a really cool thing that I got to do that pretty feel pretty honored that I was able as a science major to work alongside business and marketing students and um, expand my knowledge in those fields. For me, I guess I'll go kind of with an academic and non-academic. So my non-academic is always the Lunar New Year celebration here at Gustavus. It's always really wonderful to see all the people come out um, and celebrate that really special holiday, um, at least to me. Um, and then my academic would actually be this year. I've been um, very fortunate to partake in a research grant with Magdalena Marinari in the history department. So we are currently researching the effects of COVID-19 in marginalized communities in the United States. Um, and it's really, really fascinating research. Um, yeah. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating for your research. Well, thanks everyone for sharing those with us. So we're gonna move on to a lot of students when they come in their first year think that, you know, for their career at least, they're gonna have some kind of aha moment, right? That's gonna go off and they're gonna know exactly what's gonna happen. And we try to reassure people that usually doesn't happen, right? Typically it's a lot of experiences that kind of lead to your path and what you wanna do. So if each of you could share with us, what led you to your particular pre-health path? So, you know, the road travel, your experiences, what did you do to get where you're at today? Yeah, so I think I thought that I had my aha moment um, my sophomore year of high school. I was given contact lenses for the first time and it was like in that moment that I was just blown away by the impact that corrected vision could have just on daily life. So I kind of stuck with that, thought that was gonna be my plan. And then I went to Gustavus and I started to wonder if I was just interested in healthcare in general or if it was specifically optometry. And so I um, was lucky enough to, to do the January experience at River's Edge Hospital where I shadowed 10 different departments in the hospital. And through that experience, I was like, I got to see so many different providers that I never would have interacted with otherwise, because I didn't personally need to go to them or visit them before this experience. Um, and after that, I was able to journal throughout that whole month. And I was able to look at what I liked and didn't like for each department. And eventually I was able to figure out that um, what I liked in each department, optometry did have to offer. And also I had a passion with that, that um, was kind of ignited through through some work I did at the Lighthouse for Vision Loss in Duluth with teenagers with vision loss. And then I also worked um, for, for an eye doctor in town. And through all those experiences, I realized that I did want to commit um, my career to optometry. Thanks, Jordan. I guess for my experience, you know, a lot of it had to do with my own personal health problems starting from the day I was born. I was born too much prematurely and was very sick and uh, had to spend two months there before I was finally discharged and um, fortunately didn't have any really long lasting effects from it. But, you know, hearing my parents talk about their time, you know, my mom being on bed rest for all this time before I was born and all that really, the healthcare field really, you know, brought that to life for me. And then having my first flu shot and, you know, asking the nurse for a second one because I was just so intrigued. I was watching the nurse the whole time. I mean, what kid does that? really something that <laughs> took the nurse aback. Uh, you know, people that know me well know that, that that really isn't surprising to them. But back, you know, back when I was a little kid, that really did take them aback. And so at that time, it was really, in general, healthcare is something that fascinated me. Didn't really know specifically what field I was thinking about. Later, I had double vision in elementary school. 
And for a while, I was actually thinking about optometry. Uh, and then I took physics in high school and absolutely hated it. <laughs> and then I found out that, you know, optometry was really based on physics. And so and I was like, nope, probably not the field for me if I don't like the main subject area that it's based on. So kind of optometry went in the wayside at that moment. So then it was still just general um, either primary care. And I knew I wanted to be in a small town. I grew up in a small town in Marshall and, you know, going to school in Gustavus and always like being in big cities, but wanting to be in smaller towns. So that primary care focus. And of course, uh, most people know that in small towns, primary care and family medicine is something that is very much lacking, very much needed. And like Jordan, I also did that career exploration during my junior year, but I wasn't at River's Edge. I was in the Mankato Clinic. And I was very lucky and fortunate to have experienced many different specialties. Unfortunately, family medicine wasn't one of them, but I was able to see a variety of different specialties and fields. And I think that really solidified that, you know, medical field was a right fit for me. And the good thing about going into school for medicine is you really don't have to know exactly what you want to do yet. That can be decided at a later time. So keeping my options open right now, I work as a medical scribe at a dermatology clinic and really liking it. So who knows, I might be a dermatologist one day, but like I said, keeping my options open and uh, so many different paths to take later on. Great, thanks. Well, for me, it's kind of a different path. Um, all the way back in high school, we kind of did this whole career cluster thing that we kind of, I also did at Gustavus um, and kind of one of my top choices was pharmacist. So that kind of is where it started to kind of like pique my interest of like, oh, this might be something I want to look into. Um, I always knew I wanted to do something in healthcare. My dad's a doctor um, and my mom is also um, a lab technician. So science runs in the family. So very much kind of on track. Um, but when I kind of got to Gustavus, I kind of had a midlife crisis. Um, I was like, is this, is pharmacy really what I want to do for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of my life? Um, and I kind of panicked, especially after taking organic chemistry too, because that's not the easiest class to take in the world. Um, but I started talking to a lot of pharmacists within the local area. Um, we had family friends who also were pharmacists as well. And so I just kind of scheduled times when I could meet with them and talk to them about, you know, why, why pharmacy, like what's the appeal to it. And I think, um, throughout that whole process is what I learned is that pharmacy is a really diverse field and it's not just like, you know, being a retail pharmacist at like Walgreens or CVS. I mean, it's certainly an option, but it's not the only one available. Um, and I think for me, knowing that there's so many different choices that I could potentially take within getting this degree is really appealing. Cause if I get bored of one thing, I can move to or shift to another. Um, instead of just like kind of going down the funnel and narrowing down to the specialty, I can really keep my options open, um, which is, was appealing to me. Um, I don't really actually have any formal shadowing or anything like that, like um, Michael and Jordan do. Um, I've done kind of just, you know, following my dad around the hospital, talking to pharmacists there, um, and just kind of getting a general idea um, about the profession from talking to professionals in the field. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think what we hear from all three of you is um, you investigated, right? If you had the opportunity to shadow, you did. You talked to people in the profession. You went and figured out what did you like? What did you didn't like? What are the options in the field? That's what it takes to make that kind of decision. And yeah, nobody at 2021 thinks about like, what am I going to be doing for the rest of my life, right? That's a huge decision. Um, so it needs to take a lot of thought and a lot of investigation. And um, that's what you guys did. So thank you for sharing those stories. 
All right, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the application process for each of you. And so we'd like to start with the personal statement. So uh, share with us some advice for our listeners um, about writing your personal statement. I'm not sure. I'm guessing you guys will be offering this again um, this year where you read the, the personal statements at the workshop. Um, that was definitely a key key part of my my journey with the personal statement because I had no idea you know what they're supposed to look like what you're supposed to talk about so reading other people's is a very good way to start um secondly what I did was I just had a running note sheet on my phone so that any point where I had a random thought I would just write it down if it was in the middle of the night or whatever I would write it down so I just had all these different ideas of ways to start it things I wanted to mention um, I think my major piece of advice is to understand that you aren't going to sit down and just write it. It's going to be kind of like a piece of art that you're just going to keep working on. Um, and last piece of advice would to have other people read it and lots of people and different people from different areas with different expertise. It's definitely important to do. I'll just start my piece of advice by piggybacking off of what Jordan said, it's a piece of art that's never going to be finished entirely and to your satisfaction. I think that's an important note to make because most of us that are in pre-health, myself included, and I think I can speak for the other two, are perfectionists in some way at least. And so being satisfied with something that you know isn't going to be perfect and there are going to be flaws with it. And sometimes it's kind of a trade-off of, you know, I have this point that I want to make and it's good. I have this point a little bit better in this way, a little bit weaker in this way, you know, kind of seeing that, you know, balancing it out and seeing which one's better, but knowing that there is no, you know, perfect option. And the other thing I was going to say is as tempting as it is to Google how to write a personal statement, personal statement ideas, personal statement topics, I would highly suggest, you know, maybe doing it a little bit just to get a basis if you're at a very first preliminary stage. But know that, you know, someone who has a good personal statement and got into the school of their choice, and while that was a big component of theirs, their experiences may be completely different than yours. And basing your writing off of their writing might not be the most suitable option for you. And understanding that there's so many different, there's not really one cookie cutter standard way of writing the statement. There's so many options. Of course, there's things that you need to include that is good, good basis as far as writing, but recognizing everyone has different writing styles, everyone's approach is a little bit different, is important to note and not getting caught in that feeling that it has to be done a particular way specifically. Yeah, my advice would be before you even start writing your personal statement um, for whatever health profession that you're going into, look at what kind of the requirements for the personal statement is. Um, so you can kind of tailor it to whatever program you are going into and you can really kind of be like your own hype person and like build up your personal statement to like reflect what um, the program is looking for. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's always kind of, I don't know, almost like a taboo to like, you know, be like boastful of like your accomplishments and talk about yourself in like a positive light and things because we're always kind of quick to judge ourselves so I just be like when you're writing your statement just kind of be in the mindset that it might be a little uncomfortable talking about yourself and be like I'm the best please pick me um but know that your accomplishments are completely valid and just keep reminding yourself that and also specifics help in personal statements um committees look through hundreds and thousands of applications make sure that your stands out by doing like specific details 
um, I think is also really helpful. Yeah, great advice. It's interesting because Heidi and I just met today on the personal statement workshop just to review it and come up with things. And Jordan, your thing about the samples, we're doing samples different this year because it's virtual, right? So we're like, how are we going to do that? And what are we going to share? So we're kind of figuring that out all out right now. But today when we were doing that, we were going up and updating like the word count and if there's prompts for certain areas, because some areas have prompts, some areas don't have prompts. And Michael, what you were talking about there too is, oh boy, there's a lot of advice out there, right? Like a lot of things getting thrown at you, what you should do and shouldn't do. And like all of you said, I think it is really good. It's a reflection of what you have done, what you want to share. Um, and yeah, I, I think that it's a hard piece. And I think our biggest thing of advice from Heidi and I is it takes time, right? Spend time working on it, spend time getting feedback spend time really reflecting and make sure it does show who you are and what you want to share. But yeah, it's really hard to get it perfect, right? Like it, it's hard for that, but you can get it really close, right? If you want to work on it hard enough. So agree with everything you said and very timely because we were just talking about all of this today. So we're moving on to the centralized application. And, you know, this is a daunting thing for some people. It's transcripts, it's uploading letters, you know, it's every accomplishment activity, everything you've done is in the centralized application. And so I want you to speak to, is there something that you think or that you worked on prior to opening that helped you when the centralized application came? And for you, what was the hardest part to the application? Is there a part that was like really hard or tell us how you approach that. And if there's anything you think a student could do ahead of time to kind of be ready for when it opens. Jordan, we'll just stay in our same order. We'll start with you. Definitely. Um, I think one of the parts that I did not know was going to take as much time was gathering transcripts, um, especially if you took, I know I had some college in the schools courses in high school. And so trying to figure out which classes were from which school and how I could get that transcript three, four years later was difficult. Um, but I think that is that some, that's something you can do in advance. You can get those transcripts in your hands or on your laptop so they're they're ready to go. You don't have to wait um, however many days because um, that would that could affect your timeline for applying. Um, also working on the personal statement before before it's open, I think is important. And letters of recommendation, starting to think about who you want to ask um, to do those and asking them in a timely manner too. Um, I think those are the, the main three things that you can really do before it, before it opens up. Um, yeah, that's, that'd be my main things. <laughs> Great. Lucky for you going first, Jordan, cause you took all of my ideas right off what I was going to say, but I think just to re-emphasize, you know, the postal statement is not something that, right. I mean, shouldn't really change drastically within one to two months. So putting it off when, until it opens wouldn't necessarily be the best idea. I think starting it early, you know, by the winter or spring of whenever you're applying, you should already have a basis of what you're going to write. Maybe some details are going to be added in fluctuate, but at least your base, you can start then, if not even earlier. Um, additionally, I would say recommendations, not only knowing who you're going to choose to write your letters of recommendation, making sure that they fit the requirements of the schools that you're applying to, even though you might not know specifically what schools, knowing that you have you know, if some schools want you to have someone in that field or in that profession. So in my case, it was having an MD 
as a one of the lottery writers, which good thing I had one and I had one in mind before, but thinking and planning that out a little bit earlier. The other thing too, kind of like what Jordan mentioned, really asking them in a timely manner and giving them time. I think sometimes we fall under the impression that, you know, our professors or whoever we ask them, as much as we can like to think that we are their top priority, the top of their minds, they have a whole career, they have their families, they have so much else going on that being respectful of their time, you know, thanking them many times for the work that they do for you is really important. But not only that, but giving them a sufficient amount of time to write a good letter, because obviously if you give them less time, not only is it more of a constraint on them, but you might not get the letter quality that you would like to receive. So just putting my note out there that being able to ask ahead of time and being respectful of their time, I think is really important. And it's just a good, good skill to have of appreciation for all the work that they've done for you, because I'm sure you, people that you choose to write your letters, you've worked a sufficient amount of time with in the past. I don't know how much I can add, but I can maybe add one more point from those great ones. Um, I would just recommend that students like research all the different programs that they might be applying to or that they're interested in. Because um, in the long run, um, in centralized applications, a lot of schools that you apply to, they kind of have their own section of questions that they'll have you answer. So you can kind of narrow down the amount of programs that you want to apply to. Um, it can kind of save you time in that way um, and just kind of help the whole process get moving along once you know. All three of you, you really nailed it. So what I heard was, hey, you can start working on your personal statement, right? That can get ready to go and you can have that ready to go. And then I heard letters of recommendation, connecting with those faculty members and actually researching how many letters are allowed and what letters do you need? Like what kind? Do schools have specific requirements, which they do, some do, right, that they want. And you wanna make sure that you have those letters. And then again, the last point there of researching, where are you applying to, right? Like that is a huge thing when the centralized app comes and then students are like, hey, Heather, I don't know where to apply. Well, we do have a workshop on this to give you some ideas. But again, there's a lot of research out there and resources to help students research schools and where they might be qualified to go based on their scores and also locations that they're interested in. So there actually is quite a bit to do prior to the centralized application opening. So getting those things done, I think makes the process less stressful when that stuff is done ahead of time. So great advice. All right, so the next step in the application process would then be, of course, interviewing. So we would love to hear how did you all prepare for the interview? And if you can remember one tough question that you were asked. Also a, a very important part of the process um, for interviewing, I, I really think it's just practice, practice, practice um, in as many ways as you can. So it becomes just natural answering these questions. And so you, you, know, you know what you want to say, what points you want to get across. Um, I know for me, my application was not read by the people interviewing me. So I had to make sure that I hit all the key components because they, they knew nothing about me at all. So what I said was what they knew. Um, so making sure that you are going to say those, those key things that you want to say. Um, in terms of practicing, you wanna practice with someone um, who's gonna make it professional so that you, you kind of feel, feel the pressure um, a little bit. And then, um, yeah, it's just practicing as much as you can so, so you're not gonna be caught off guard um the toughest question that I remember um I was a little bit thrown off by 
getting a hypothetical situation. I just had to read a situation that I was put into um, and I had to give my response and what I would do. And I don't think they were expecting me to have the right answer, but they just wanted to know that I, I could problem solve and felt comfortable with that. So practicing those types of situations too. <laughs> As far as my interview experiences, I would say, again, kind of going off of what Jordan said, really practicing and making sure you know what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, but at the same time, not sounding robotic. And I think those two oftentimes, one falls into the other and it's very difficult, I will admit, to delineate between the two, to being confident in what you're saying, but not sounding like you're on autopilot. And I've said this many, many times because you want to make this an authentic conversation. And, you know, keep in mind that for some interviews, they're going to be more conversational, whereas some are going to be more strictly question and answer. And obviously, you won't really know that until, you know, it comes time to the interview and you get some information, either mailed to you or emailed to you as far as what the format of the interview is, but being comfortable and prepared for both types of those scenarios. I would also say it's important to reread your secondaries for that school. I know some programs don't have secondaries, so some programs it's just going to be your primary, what you send to all schools. But rereading your application, and if you did send something specifically to that school, what you said to them, just because for some schools, they already know what you had sent to them in the past. And so making sure that the information that you're telling them is consistent with what they already know. If you are lucky enough to have someone that goes to that school, that's awesome, because then you can connect with them and ask them about what their interview experiences are like. That's obviously not possible for everyone. But if that does come across and you have that chance, definitely utilize that. And I can guarantee you that almost everyone would be more than willing to share their interview experiences and it would be give some really good and helpful advice. And a lot of the times the actual interview process doesn't change that drastically from year to year. So that'd be something to definitely keep in mind and consider. As far as the most difficult question, one of the interviews that I had this year, not at UMD, but at a different school that I interviewed, um, one of their last questions was, uh, what was the last book that I read? Not necessarily a difficult question, but keep in mind that that's something, again, kind of like with what Jordan said with her difficult question, they're not really looking for the right answer in quote, you know, it's just, can you think on the spot and can you think of something that, you know, is actually relevant? And for me, I said it was a children's book that I read to my niece earlier that week because that was the last book that I had indeed read. And so as cheesy as that, silly as that sounds, I thought that was a pretty good answer, pretty clever too, uh, you know, on that note. Sometimes humor really does make an interview more come more to life, and you know it's you you're a person and you're trying to present yourselves as a person. You know, obviously both professionally, but also your your character and your humanistic side to you. So I would say you know not necessarily the most difficult question, but just being prepared for those off questions that you don't really prepare for. You can't, um, and just not necessarily you know what you say, but can you think kind of on your feet and um, pretty quickly and come up with a good answer. So all of my interviews this year were virtual because of COVID. So something that I did to prepare for mine was I actually videotaped myself um, going through like interview questions to, and then what I would do after that is that I'd play it back and see like, how am I presenting myself? What are my answers like? How many ums or ahs or ands or buts or likes am I saying? Um, so I can kind of get a feel for like how I am coming across potentially to potential interviewers. Um, that was really helpful for me because I could kind of like correct my behavior then a little bit to just kind of be more relaxed. And after kind of getting in front of the screen and, you know, kind of going over some answers, um, I just felt like more comfortable. 
Um, also, one thing that I found really helpful when I was interviewing, even though all of my interviews were virtual, is that I would dress the same that I would be if I was in person. Um, it kind of just gave me like a little bit of a confidence boost, which you want kind of going into an interview. And also just kind of made me feel like more at ease while like also understanding like this is a professional setting, even though like they're not sitting there in the room with me. Um, a tough question that I got was actually, yeah, um, was um, name a moral dilemma and what did you do in this situation and how did you like overcome everything? So that was kind of a tough one to have to like think about kind of on the spot. But again, it's not like they're looking for a right or wrong answer. They're just kind of looking for an authentic answer and kind of like your response. Um, so as long as like you're confident um, in your answer, you should you should be golden. Yeah, and I think um, all of those tips are really good. And yeah, this year with everything virtual, right? That's that's new, that's a new thing. And it'll be interesting to see how things move forward, if some of that will remain, um, you know, what that will look like. I think the benefit of virtual is it saves students a lot of money, right? A lot of time and a lot of money to get to these places. I do think you can get a lot from a virtual interview lose a little bit, right? Like we've known that from having to do everything virtual this year, just as health advisors. So um, thank you for all that advice. I definitely think that practice is really important. And, um, you know, again, Heidi and I are definitely willing to work with students as well to do a practice interview and provide feedback. And it'll be very direct feedback, right? Because we want to make sure that you're presenting yourself in the best manner possible, which um, I know all of you did, right? You're all accepted and that's awesome. But interviewing is high stakes, right? One mistake or one, you know, I don't know, we don't put that much pressure on, but it's a big deal, right? And we want to make sure that you're prepared and preparation is the key to feeling confident, right? I think that's, that's part of it. All right. So what overall advice would you give to a student who's planning to apply in the future? And Jordan, we're staying with it. You're up. Right. Um, overall advice. I think we've touched on a little bit, but doing that research before, because um, that not only helps you be prepared once the time comes, but it also helps you like figure out if this is what you want to do, if you're willing to put in the effort, if you're able to put in the effort, um, and if you're going to be prepared for sure. Um, Secondly, I would say to stay organized. You're gonna realize that as soon as you have more than one school that you're applying to, which you probably will, it gets very overwhelming. So if you have if you have to have folders or like a Google Drive, just have it all in one place so you can keep it organized, um, be documenting what you're doing to make that progress. It'll make you feel better and um, more confident when the time comes. I'd say one of the biggest pieces of advice that I would give is something that I experienced personally, and that's being a reapplicant. Uh, I applied to the, this my second cycle that I applied, so I unfortunately didn't get in the first time. It was definitely worth applying the first time. I gained so much experience and knowledge, and applying the second time around in many respects was significantly easier. Of course, with COVID, it had its own challenges, and I felt in some ways that I was a first-time applicant again. But overall, having the experiences of, you know, like we touched about a lot on the centralized application and the secondaries and the interviews, having had all of those the first time around did make it easier the second time. Of course, there was a component of that burnout. You know, I did feel after that first time not getting in, you know, not necessarily like I doubted myself if this was the career for me, but 
it did, I mean, the application cycle was long by the time you, you know, from starting, inter, you know, starting applications in April and May to uh, some interviews can go into uh, March and April. I was actually on the waiting list. And so it was like May and June by the time that I found out that I didn't have to, you know, didn't get in and would have to start over again. And so, you know, the whole thing of it's not a, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint is really, really, really true. And being able to take all of that and take time for yourself too. It's a long cycle and a long process, but being able to take time for yourself and, you know, things that other things that are important and matter, very important as well, because it's, it's something that can take a lot out of you. And um, that balance is really key. So for all those that are, you know, listening here that maybe have applied already and are planning on applying again, maybe a little bit slightly different programs and that sort of thing, just really don't give up, really persevere. It's, it's worth it in the end. Uh, and even if it takes more than those couple of times, it's, it's not worth giving up just because you didn't get in that first time or even a couple of times. Yeah, you guys both made my points that I was going to make. Just seeing organized um, is really important because you are going to probably have multiple interviews that you're going to have to schedule around, you know, sometimes classes, sometimes work. So it can be a lot to handle. And also just knowing that it's going to be a long process, but it's going to be really worth it in the end, regardless of what the outcome might be. Um, so just, you know, kind of pacing yourself and making sure that you're not scheduling, you know, three, four interviews, you know, for an entire weekend, because that can be a lot on you. So making sure that you're just kind of pacing yourself and staying on top of and organized of everything um, is what I would say. Great. So staying organized, very important, right? Like knowing what you're doing, researching, being organized, that's good. And then the other big message is keeping perspective, staying, you know, balanced in what's going on, because it is a long cycle, right? You start, you know, in May, and you might not find out until the next May. And again, we've been doing this long enough to know it's very stressful on students. But be in it for the long haul. If this is something that you want to do and you're dedicated to, stay at it, right? Stay persistent, get feedback, be more competitive the next time if you're going to do it again. Um, so I like that um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It takes time to, to have the success. And you guys on this panel, you've been working towards this for a long time, right? It's not just something you come up and like, I'm going to apply to this. You've already been working on this a, whole, a hard time, a long time. So um, great advice. All right. And we have our final question to wrap up uh, this podcast. Um, and we've asked this question every time uh, since we started the podcast in the beginning of the academic year for 2020. So um, the question is, or actually it's not a question, but we are asking you to please define success. So your definition of success. Jordan, we'll have you finish it off for us. All right. Um, honestly, I think success can be as simple as progress that you're proud of. Um, just moving forward and feeling good about where you're going with it. I think that that is success. It doesn't have to be the finish line, but it can be, can be the steps that you're taking. Awesome. Thank you. I think of the word success, you know, I think a lot of us think towards that end goal. And like Jordan was saying, you know, that's, that's a part of success too, that, you know, even the intermediate steps can also be success. I'm hoping that by the time, you know, I, I finish up everything and I'm able to, you know, start my career and have that more relaxed and balanced approach that something that I'll enjoy doing, you know, day in and day out, of course, with every job, with everything that you do, all of your 
extracurricular activities, all of your experiences, you're not going to like every aspect of it and you can't expect to. That's thinking you're, you know, crazy outside of the box. You know, there's every, every experience and everything that you have is going to be bad moments, bad days, but overall, are you enjoying it? Is it, do you find, you know, pleasure and gratitude from it? I would say that if your answer is yes to most of those questions for what you're doing on a daily basis, then you are successful. I think success is kind of relative to the person who is trying to achieve it. Um, I think that, you know, my definition of success for myself is going to be different from, you know, Jordan and Michael's. I think that's important to realize is that what I think success for myself is might be different for someone else. And so just kind of keeping that perspective that it's okay to have like different kind of definitions of success. Um, and that kind of what the other two were saying that that kind of end goal is kind of like that what we kind of define as a society as success but you know every single day I think there are little kind of goals that we reach and milestones that we make um, that should be celebrated um, because it's definitely more about the process than you know just the final destination of it. Well thank you all for being here today Jordan, Michael, and Catherine we really appreciate your insight and your sharing and we're excited that you all have a future as an optometrist, as a physician, and as a pharmacist. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.